Smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. Oh, yes, delivery. Gendouzi's header. And the finish of the near post from Lucas Baqueta. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Fire again. A goal Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it. Hello everybody and welcome to our first podcast of 2022 as Liga Uber Eats makes a tentative return after the winter break. Depleted squads, near empty stands, Monaco sacking their coach, PSG scoring late on. It feels like we've seen all of this before on Le Bourgeois, but fear not, there is plenty of new stuff going on too. Not least Marseille winning away to Bordeaux for the first time since the presenter of this podcast was in nappies. Ludovic Ajork inspiring Strasbourg to victory over Metz in the derby. Nice winning with 10 men away to Brest. And Leon fighting hard, yes, fighting hard under Peter Boss. It's also January, which means it's the transfer window, which means endless gossip about all the players that Newcastle are planning to sign from Ligue 1 Uber Eats also known as the League of Talents. And for good reason. There's plenty of talent on the panel as well this morning. Um, Welcome along and bon année to David Crossan. How are you, David? Yeah, very good, thanks, Matt. Bon année to you, bon année to everyone listening. Great to have you on, uh, Dave. Great to have Andreas Avagora as well, another Ligue 1 commentator. How are you, Andreas? I'm all good. Good to speak to you, Matt. Great to have you back on. Thank you to all of our listeners for, uh, for tuning in. Um, here to Le Bourgeois, the official Ligue 1 Uber Eats podcast. You can subscribe to the pod on Spotify, Google, Apple or Deezer. And please do take a, a moment to rate us as well. We very much appreciate that. We're going to start uh, by looking at the round 20 action and we're going to go in chronological order. The first game um, after the winter break was in Bordeaux. It was Bordeaux against Marseille. Um, a big rivalry traditionally. And uh, this incredible uh, jinx that Marseille have of uh, not winning in Bordeaux since 1977. I don't want to give my age away, but that's a, it's a very, very long time. David Crossan commentated the action at the Matmut Atlantique. That's not a good clearance by Castile. It's under, under, under might open the scoring here and does Marseille have the lead. It's a big mistake from Bordeaux and under capitalizes to score his fifth of the season. One that might see Marseille score their first win in Bordeaux since 1977. Costil getting special dispensation to play tonight after recovering from coronavirus. He might wish he hadn't bothered. It was his mistake giving the ball straight to the Turkish international winger. The close control and the composure in front of goal. It's Marseille's first attempt on target. And it means it's Bordeaux nil. Marseille won. Not long left. Eric Vatelier looks at his watch. And Marseille win 1-0 at Bordeaux. Their first victory at Bordeaux since 1977. The hoodoo comes to an end. Well, Dave, there was a lot of doubt as to whether this game would uh, go ahead. Bordeaux had huge problems with, with covid um, throughout the Christmas period and in the build-up to this game. They asked for the game to be postponed, but uh, ultimately they got a reasonably strong team out. I'm not quite sure how well prepared um, all of their players were. And uh, and Marseille did it. 
44 years on, was it a deserved win for Marseille? Yeah, Marseille were in control throughout that one, Matt. They should probably have won by more. Uh, Cengiz Under scored the goal after a Benoit Costil mistake. He could have had two or three goals. Uh, Marseille weren't that good, but they didn't really need to be, given that Bordeaux, even though they were able to make lots of changes from the team that had lost to Brest in the Coupe de France, the players weren't 100% fit. and They worked really hard, did Bordeaux, and you had to have some sympathy for them. But fundamentally, even when they are 100% fit, Bordeaux were a very limited team. And when you go behind against Marseille now, you always know it's going to be a struggle. I don't know whether this is the Arsenal influence, but 1-0 to Marseille seems to be a, a recurring theme throughout this season that they go in front. They don't concede many goals. Only 15 goals conceded all season. I mean, you say it's the it's Groundhog Day that we talk about the same stuff every week. Back in September, we were talking about freewheeling Marseille being the team that you wanted to watch. It's slightly less so now, but they are incredibly effective. Yeah, that victory moved Marseille up to second, um, at least for, uh, for 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 a couple of days. Um, Dave, you talk about the the Arsenal influence. I, I want to bring in a, a former Chelsea player, um, Frank Leboeuf. I had the opportunity to speak to him. Um, the other day and I asked him about William Saliba uh, the uh, the Marseille defender currently on loan from Arsenal uh, Frank Leboeuf used to play for Marseille at the back he knows a thing or two about defending won a World Cup as well and uh, this is what he had to say uh, about Saliba One player I want to ask you about as a, as a former centre-back um, he's from Paris didn't play for Paris William Saliba only 20 years yeah. old but has looked like a real boss uh, this season in, in defence. What do you make of him? How far do you think he can go? Well, he can go very, very far. Uh, he can make some mistakes still, but uh, who doesn't? He's, uh, he's human overall. But, uh, but I find him very calm. I saw the last game, the pace that he has uh, to cope with the situation when he was a little bit late, but he managed to, uh, to sort the problem out with, uh, with the pace. Then he got the ball. Then with a calm of a veteran, almost, you know, got out of the of the problem, and uh, and uh, managed to uh, to get a counter attack. He has everything to be one of the biggest centre half in the world for sure. I think because of his stature and the the looks that he has, he has to really follow Van Dijk very closely because he's the type of guy who can be as strong as Van Dijk. And I wish him to be as strong as Van Dijk because Van Dijk is maybe the best centre centre half in the world right now. But he has everything to do so. Well, he will have to work hard, but he can have a bright future for sure. Well, Andrea Savagora, as well as being um, a Ligue 1 Uber Eats expert, you're a, you're an Arsenal fan, so I'm sure you're keeping a, a close eye on on William Saliba. But interesting to hear what what Leboeuf had to say. You 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 look at Marseille this season. Ten clean sheets it is now. Uh, only Manchester City in Europe's top five leagues have more clean sheets than, than Marseille. And Saliba has been a really important part of that. Um, Leboeuf saying he can go on to be uh, one of the world's best best centre-backs. Um, what are your feelings and what's he doing at Marseille? Why, why, why have Arsenal not, not held on to him? Well, I'm keeping a close eye on two players. Obviously, Mathieu Gunduzi, who's had an excellent season, who Marseille have an option to buy. So I guess we can park that one. I don't think he's going to be going back to North London. Uh, William Saliba, it, it's it's something that Arsenal fans really do talk a lot about because Arsenal do need uh, centre-backs. Uh, he's probably better than one or two that Arsenal have now. 
And it seems to be a, maybe a personal issue with Arteta in as much as he didn't fit in. But it, it's, it's just a real mystery. I don't think anyone understands why Arteta hasn't been given a chance. And we won't go over the old ground about him uh, playing in, in the, the French Cup final and so on. But I think Arsenal fans are hoping that he continues to have a good season at Marseille and comes to North London after all these years on loan. But one thing about that, that match, uh, Bordeaux match, I thought was interesting. It was a kind of tale of two goalkeepers, wasn't it? Because that horrible mistake from Costille, who uh, was, you know, gave a mere culpa at the end and was saying, look, he, he gave the match to Marseille. I think he was probably exaggerating a bit. I think Dave's right that Marseille would have won it. But there was a lot of analysis of um, Lopez's role. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, the Marseille keeper really was playing as like a, an, an 11th outfield player. And I just looked at some stats. He had 56 touches and more than half were outside the box, which if you think about it, is pretty amazing. I mean, he's genuinely playing as an outfield player. And if you look at some of the some some of the clips from the match, he really comes out and plays as a centre-back with the full-backs pushing on. So it's like a 3-5-3. Three, three. They've got like, uh, you know, genuinely 11 out, outfield players. So Lopez, who incidentally now um, Marseille will buy because of the, the option um, to buy after 20 matches. I thought that was really interesting. I know we've talked a lot about sweeper keepers and all that, but it, it's a genuine uh, tactic now uh, for Marseille. And they were away from home. So I thought that was really interesting. He's a really good passer of a ball. Uh, as for Costil, well, I was thinking of um, Rude Hullett's old old saying that if goalkeepers could play football, they wouldn't be goalkeepers. Good one, Rude. Fair enough. <laughs> but Dave, uh, <laughs> no, no, uh, no, I mean, I, it, Paul Lopez has been crucial to that Marseille defensive record. Saliba as well. And what Sam Pauli's looking to do this window now is to find a backup Luan Perez, who is overused really in that left-sided centre-half role. So that's why Jordan Amavi's been allowed to go to Nice. Now that frees up some wages to try and get another player in because Marseille also had absentees. I mean, they were without Jersten and Milik suspected COVID, though Marseille don't communicate publicly about coronavirus positives. A few players injured. And so their bench was incredibly light. Uh, only a couple of experienced players on the bench. They could do with some reinforcements if they're going to get back into the Champions League. Um, the player in the defence who I think is really standing out at the moment is Chaleta Saar, only relatively recently brought back in and... I think he plays that central central defender role in the three very, very well and dovetails very nicely with Saliba to his right and Juan Perez to his left. Uh, Lopez coming in for Mondonda was such a controversial move from San Paoli to replace the club legend, the player who's played more games for Marseille than anybody else, but he's been vindicated by Lopez's performances and Marseille's defensive statistics. Dave? Bordeaux, will they stay up? 17th in the league. They've got 17 points. They're only one point above Lorient and uh, and Metz. They've got, in theory, they've got a couple of goal scorers in Albert Ellis and, uh, yeah, they, and Huang. Well, not even in theory. They've got, they've scored 13 between them. I mean, Huang Weijou actually had a couple of good chances against Marseille, the only chances that Bordeaux had. Uh, but yeah, you look at the clubs around them, the other clubs around them don't score as many goals. The problem is the defence. Bordeaux has scored 30 in 20 games and you should be picking up more points when you score that many goals, but they've conceded 44. And they do have a a vulnerable edge to them. And so it's a case of Vladimir Petkovic needing to get them organised, uh, get through this rocky coronavirus patch, start getting a couple of results and then rely on Ellis and Huang Weijou to score the goals that will keep them up. I think they will just about stay up. 
but that they do need to have a major overhaul in the summer. Well, Nice were the uh, side that went into the winter break in second place. They were overtaken by Marseille uh, on Friday night, but Christophe Galtier's team went to Brest on uh, on Sunday. Not surprisingly, for a, a Sunday afternoon in Brest, it was very wet. It was it was very windy. Um, tackles came flying in. Uh, Morgan Schneiderlin managed to get himself sent off for Nice, but. Here's what happened uh, in terms of the uh, goals. Angus Terode was the commentator at the Stade Francis Leblay. Away comes Clivert. Nice ball in. Dolberg with space to shoot and score! Well, that was all maybe a little bit easy for Nice in the rain. Well, they got the ball back in midfield. It was a straight ball down. Lovely run by Clivert. Dutchman turned back inside. He saw an ocean of space for Kasper Dolberg to run into. And the Danish international comes up with his fifth goal of the season. Guiri feeds it in. If that's onside, then Delors has a real chance here to finish off the victory. And Andy Delors scores. The man who scored the winner in the last 64 cup match away at Cholet. May just have made the point save here after a plethora of chances for Brest that have gone begging. Out by Delors. Into Armand Guiri from Alexis Claude Maurice. He's waiting for the support. Maybe we'll head towards the fall of land. No, he won't. He'll come back inside. Oh, and he'll score a spectacular third. No wonder he's reacting like that. That hit both posts and went in. So a terrific uh, victory that for Nice, Andreas, particularly given that Schneiderlin was, uh, was sent off early on. Um, some suggestions that that played into Nice's hands. I mean, obviously it doesn't play into your hands to only have 10 men, but it meant that Christophe Galtier's side could, could sit in. They were already one goal up and we know that's, that's what they're good at, being compact, nicking a goal on, on the counter-attack and uh, after Dolberg's opener, Delors scored and then that, Fantastic third goal from uh, from Amin Guiri and yeah, really, really strong start to the year for Nice. Yeah, I mean, not many teams are going to go to Brest uh, on, on any day in any conditions and get that kind of result. But again, without going back to goalkeepers, Benitez had a very good game. It was 26 shots that um, Brest uh, had in the game. Uh, yeah, Nice, obviously, they've got a, a coach who, who knows everything about Liga, um, chasing that second spot. Uh, along with Marseille. But at the moment, I think it's very difficult to kind of gauge where teams are because of what you were saying. We've we've got COVID outbreaks all the time. We're not knowing if players are going to be available or not. A lot of players at the Africa Cup of Nations affecting some teams a lot more than others. I think Mets have got like a third of their squad at the AFCON. Some like Monaco don't have any. Um, We're back to 5,000 fans in the stadium, which does change things. I think it's a funny time at the moment. I think it's quite hard to judge just how good teams are over the next few weeks with all those factors going on. And the weather's been terrible, which doesn't help as well. So a very good result for, for Nice. Let's see if they can continue that over the next few weeks, though. It's almost surprising, Dave, to see to see Nice in second. I mean, Andrea sort of questioning, I think, indirectly, how just how good this Nice side is. And certainly the football they're playing um, isn't exceptional, but... But they're, 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 they're getting wins. They're having some up and down periods. They, they, they had those three straight home defeats, didn't they? But, um, you know, Christophe Galtier seems to have this uh, this knack of of getting results. And he's doing enough, isn't he? Yeah, they're effective. And Dante being back 
it has been huge for them this season. And you had to have doubts about whether he'd ever return to the level that he showed prior to his knee injury because he sustained that injury at the age of 37. Uh, because he's so important on and off the pitch, Nice gave him a contract extension while he was recovering, which is a punt on a player of that age. But he's done superbly this season at the age of 38. I had him in my league and team of the half season that I picked for the leagueand.com website. Um, if any of those 11 players want to come to Newcastle in the next few weeks, please do. Re read my thing. I'm giving you some love. Give it back. Um, no, and then Justin Clivert uh, has come back really well since his latest injury and I think he gives an added edge to that team on the left-hand side. I commentated them just before Christmas and at last we were starting to see the Justin Clivert that had got headlines uh, as a youngster. Uh, so I think with that, the options that he has up front, you know that Guiri, Dolberg and Delora are always going to get you goals. Clivert's chipping in as well and while they are a bit plain in midfield and they're without Lamina uh, the Africa Cup of Nations, and now Schneiderland's going to be suspended. But Christophe Galtier organises his teams, and they're always going to be a threat, and no matter whether they have possession or no possession. I think you're right, Matt, that they're happy when they don't have possession and they can break. That's when Guiri really comes into his own, such a clever, quick player, lovely finish against Brest at the weekend. And yeah, I know they're going to be difficult to dislodge from the top three. And we have to say that all we've talked about Nice since the Ineos takeover, that this would be a, a step up in their ambitions. They've not exactly been spending big. It's just that they've identified the right players and Galtier is the coach that gets you playing the right way to get results. Quick word about the red card, um, because it did it did certainly change the complexion of the game and, and it came early. Stephanie Frappar, the referee, pulling the red out after Morgan Schnedlang had he'd gone sliding in. Um he he got the ball quite clearly before then making contact with uh, with the breast player. Andreas, your 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 take on this? My feeling, and I was talking to Angus Turo, the, the commentator, and he found it um, totally wrong. He said never a red card, and I was listening to to French radio, and they were saying never a red card. My feeling is that in England, most people would say that's never a red card. But I was talking to a couple of French people yesterday who were saying, well, he's not in control, and actually, if the breast player. Um, you know, doesn't take his, his his standing foot out of the way at the last minute, he breaks his leg. What do you think, Andres? Yeah, it's this definition of, of, of being dangerous. I, I would err on the fact that it wasn't because I think players do have a right to make a tackle. The conditions weren't great. Um, and again, coming back to the fact that there's only 5,000 in the fans, I mean, there was a lot of um, analysis about the number of red and yellow cards when there are either games played behind closed doors or 5,000. And it does go up, doesn't it, quite significantly. And the feeling is that the referees kind of hear that that crunch and, and the physicality of the tackle, and that makes a difference. I probably think it does, actually. I think it was a bit unlucky. At the end of the day, you know, it didn't have an impact on, on Nice's result. Um, but I think, again, with, with fewer fans in the stadium, we'll probably see a few more cards the next few weeks. For me, it's not a red card either, but then... It wasn't a surprise mm. to me looking at the pictures that uh, given the way modern football has gone, that like, when we were growing up in the late 1970s, Matt, as long as you took any part of the ball, you could do what you wanted to the player afterwards. But now there is that responsibility on the player making a challenge and they know it, that you've got to control your challenge. If you then clear out a player afterwards, then you're potentially in trouble. So uh, having watched it back several times, both in real time and in slow motion, I'm not that surprised that Stephanie Frappard got the red card out. Yeah, no, I remember the um, 
the games on the AstroTurf at uh, Isile Mulino, Dave, for <laughs> 15 years ago. There yeah, were a few full-blooded challenges. There was right? plenty of excès uh, d'engagement. Uh, and just uh, to touch on what Andreas was saying about, about the lack of supporters, there was we're going to talk about Leon PSG um, a little bit later, but there was one very funny moment, I thought, when Bruno Guimaraes came over and won a tackle right on, on the touchline. And it was one of those moments, quite an intense period in the game, and he kind of went towards the stands and started like pumping his fist to this empty stand it, it was really funny as if as if he had 10,000 people roaring him on but um yeah uh, just to to remind you you're listening to uh, to Le Bourgeois the official Ligue 1 Uber Eats podcast and uh, we do want you subscribing and, and rating us so get on those podcast platforms and please do talk to to, to your friends about us because we're always uh, keen and we always welcome new listeners now before we move on to uh to our deja vu section I think Andreas had something he wanted to get off his chest um you talked about this being a bit of a a funny period andreas with uh with 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 the fixtures and we do have the africa cup of nations going on so tell us what's um what's uh what's got your goat this morning it's uh, it's time for a, a coup de girl from andreas evagor oh m- quel bande de chèvre c'est mon coup de gueule well, every two years i get really angry now it, it's not original but this is nothing against the Africa Cup of Nations because I think it's a fine tournament. But France has a very special relationship with Africa. It has done for a long time. It's one of the great things about Liga. So many African players come to France. And wouldn't it be a fantastic gesture if Liga says, look, we will have our winter break, but we'll have it in the last two weeks of January. Let's play some football over Christmas and New Year. I know we're not going to like it as commentators. You know, we're going to see less of our family. But it's, let's face it, there's nothing on French TV over Christmas or New Year. It would be a great way to expose Liga around the world. And it would mean fewer of these matches where you've got poor old Mets struggling against relegation with a third of their team in Africa. And it's not blaming anyone. Uh, those players have absolutely the right to go to Africa. Mets have got a great tradition of bringing in players, especially from West Africa. So let's have a little revolution and have every two years our uh, midwinter break in January. What do you think? I think the tournament should have happened last summer, shouldn't it? So but this time around, it shouldn't have been an issue. It's only because of COVID that this has become an issue that it's had to go back to its traditional winter time slots. And yeah, maybe there could have been imagination, but the, the calendar is so squeezed with the World Cup coming up next winter and everything else as well. And what can you do? Now, I think the positives are that Mets would have a good team and and we'd see less of our families <laughs> over the uh, over the festive period. The 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 negatives, however, you're trying to change French traditions here. Now, be very, very careful. You're telling French people, no, 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 you're, you're going to have to go to football stadiums. You're going to have to watch football over Christmas when you're supposed to be eating oysters and, and foie gras and uh, seeing your, your belle mare and, and, and stuff like that. And that, that's not going to go down very well. The other drawback, oh, the other drawback is that they would introduce the Le Fameux Boxing Day. Which uh, you know the French don't understand that Boxing Day is just one day. It's yeah. the twenty sixth of uh, December, and they 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 think Boxing Day is a period, or they've decided it is in French. Boxing Day is a period, and um, it's like the twenty eighth, twenty ninth, thirtieth, and uh, yeah, I'd I'd find that quite hard to stomach. But or, you know that said, you know mate, I, you can I get bring your belle-mère to a match of football. Yeah, yeah, come on, let's widen our horizons. You could you could get get your your your, your wonderful mother in law. You don't wherever know she my, is, bring her down to the stadium, you don't know buy her my mother a hot dog or, or a foie gras sandwich, and there you go. You got you got a perfect afternoon under the rain. Yeah, could give it a go. Could give it a go. Uh, it's time for Deja Who. Uh, if you think you know the answer, please do write in um to our 
uh, podcast to our email, league1podcast at gmail.com. Um, now, this clue is is, is dating. This, is, uh, this was from before Christmas. Uh, the answer was Radamel Falcao. Um, I'll read very quickly because since Robbie Thompson has started doing the clues, they're very long. Famous hairdos have always been a feature of footballers in my homeland, but I arrived in France with a big reputation and it was my peachy fashion sense that raised eyebrows. I was the jewel in the crown of a princely revolution, but my first in my first season, it was a teacher from Chasselet that cut short my dreams of world domination. After spells in red and blue overseas, I made an all-conquering return to Ligue 1 thanks to my partnership with the new star of French football. Before leaving France in 2019, <clears throat> excuse me, I even fulfilled my dream of captaining my country and scoring at a World Cup, even if it was my younger former teammate that shone brightest of all. Um, yes, Radamel Falcao, that one. So plenty of uh, correct answers. Adam Cyrilnik, well done to you. You got Radamel Falcao. Bart Barty, long-time listener, first-time responder, uh, well done, Bart. You got it right. All the best, he says, from San Francisco. we got Gabriel Hagenada from Austria. Reese Aitken, who wishes us a, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you, Reese. James Cathy, who uh, admits uh, humbly that he didn't get Fiorez, the, uh, the previous clue. Uh, Paul Thomas Clay in Oslo got it right. Davor Tokakovic in Australia also got it right. Well done to Davor. Now, the great news is that this year we have... Prizes up for grabs. We've got prizes because you guys who each week write in with uh, with the correct answers, you just get a shout out. But in future, you are going to get a prize. And uh, our first prize for Deja Who, uh, this week's Deja Who, is going to be an AS Monaco shirt. Um, an absolutely uh, lovely shirt it is to Monaco, uh, the famous shirt designed by Grace Kelly back in the day. And they still have a wonderful uh, red and white shirt. So if you think you know the answer and if you want to throw your name into the hat uh, for this prize, send us an email, league1podcast at gmail.com. Here we go. It's time for Deja Hoop. Emigrating to France when I was five, I made my professional debut at 17 and my fleeting dashes down the wing brought early success and a Ligue 1 title home to roost. I initially missed the boat for France's golden generation. However, a move overseas saw me first change position and then stratosphere, and I quickly became one of the best in the world in my new position. My sense of fight, sacrifice and understanding of the game helped the stars around me to shine. From one capital club to another, I became one of only three Frenchmen to win the championship in three of Europe's top five leagues. However, a last hurrah in Bleu fell short at the final hurdle. After more than 20 years at the top, I finished my career back in France, ushering in a new Galacticos era. If you know the answer, email us, league1podcast uh, at gmail.com and keep your fingers crossed you could win an AS Monaco shirt. We're going to talk about Monaco now. It's been a busy a uh, few days, few weeks for Monaco in the news. They sacked their coach, Niko Kovac, on the 1st of January. What a terrible start to the new year for the Croat, who got the most points in Ligue 1 last year, last calendar year, besides PSG. That's Monaco. They, they did extremely well, yet they sacked their coach. Um, they brought in Philippe Clement. His uh, first game was against Nantes. Andreas Avagora uh, commentated it. We don't have any commentary, partly because uh, there weren't any goals in this one. 
Andreas, how did Philippe Clement uh, get on? Just to let our listeners know, he's the former club Bruges coach. Um, and uh, yeah, he's won three titles in Belgium and he's got a big job now on his hands with Monaco. Well, he's got a big job. He's got a big reputation. PSG fans will remember how well Bruges did, uh, especially in that first game um, in the Champions League. He plays attacking football. Um He's come with Monaco. He, he gave an interesting press conference. He says, I'm here to win games and develop young players. And I think the second part of that is very important because Monaco do have some fantastic young players coming through. Chiromani was excellent for me. Um, it, he didn't want to change things too much because he thought that would that would unsettle the players. Uh, first 30 minutes, Monaco was superb, dominated the game, really won the ball high up, created one or two chances. They really missed Ben Yedda. They, they desperately need Ben Yedda in the team. They tried Voland as a centre-forward, didn't work at all. And uh, Paul Boidou missed uh, a couple of chances when he came on. Pretty impressed with Vanderson, actually, their new signing. Cost about 11, 12 million euros, reportedly. Uh, right back, came on, played in midfield, and he, he was pretty good for me. So I think lots to build on. Um, Kovac, very unlucky. I think agree with what you're saying. To, to be to be dismissed, he'll he'll crop up pretty soon somewhere else. Maybe not in France, but uh, a lot to build on for Clement. Seems like a very intelligent man. Likes to play attacking football, um, and will hopefully, from Monaco's point of view, really build on um, the young players that they have coming through because it was a young team. You've got to ask though, Andreas. Is there any point as a Monaco coach, freshly appointed, having a medium? or long-term plan, given the chronic instability that there is at the Principality Club, when you've had Thierry Henry, Leonardo Jardim, Robert Moreno, and, and now Nico Kovac all going through that revolving door, Clement appointed. Yeah, and on paper, looks a, a reasonable appointment. Did very well in that first game uh, against Paris Saint-Germain back in the autumn. Uh, the return match at the Parc de France was a bit of a, a non-match, to be honest, given the group situation. But I can't say I've seen enough of Bruges down the years, apart from when they play Paris Saint-Germain, to know fully what to expect from Philippe Clermont. But like Matt, I think, just look at what Kovac did with that team. And I, I think it's totally outrageous that he was dismissed. Just if you're basing it purely on what Monaco have produced on the pitch, OK, not quite up to the standard you'd be hoping for this season. Um, and obviously, we don't know exactly what goes on uh, behind uh, the scenes at the club where Paul Mitchell certainly has a, a lot of power at Monaco. I think it appears, though, what Monaco are striving for is to go down the Chelsea model, where you change your coach all the time, but you end up getting trophies. And is it any coincidence that Chelsea have a, a very wealthy Russian owner and Monaco have a very wealthy Russian owner? They want immediate results. Uh, and to be honest, I don't see Clement getting them immediate results. I, I thought this... When Jardim was dismissed the second time around, I actually thought their results weren't as good as they would have been had they kept with the man in charge. I think that's going to be the same this time for all of Clement's qualities. Oh, I, I agree. I think that is a business model, if you like, uh, chopping and changing coaches very quickly. But funnily enough, um, Clement was asked about who, who he most admires as a coach. And he said Pep Guardiola, because he's got this long-term plan and a long-term vision. I agree with you, Dave. It's not going to happen at Monaco. But he also said, look, don't expect us to play like Man City immediately. But this is what what he would love. Clement would love to go down there, have a bit of money, develop young players, keep his young players, um, bring in some 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 more experienced players. I agree. I don't think it's don't think it's going to happen. Um, the expectations are very high. But I still would not be surprised if Monaco end up top four, because they do have some very good players. And if they can get Ben Yedda playing more, because Bizarrely for me, he wasn't really playing 
as much as he perhaps could have in, in the autumn, um, getting Kevin Volland uh, in a better position and keeping the young players fit. I mean, the bad news was yesterday they lost two defenders in the first half to injury, um, which is a, a problem that Clement doesn't need. But I, I would still be fairly optimistic for Monaco to be top four. I, I think they've got a decent chance, you know. I think it's absolutely disgraceful. I mean, Dave, Dave used, you used the word outrageous. I think we need to call things you know, as we see them and as they are. Nico Kovac wasn't sacked for, for football reasons. He got more points that, well, for football, maybe it was football reasons, but, you know, he got more points than any other team other than PSG last year. Uh, Paul Paul Mitchell, the sporting director, was giving reasons the other day and he said, oh, we kept our players in the summer. We, we feel like we've improved the squad and um, the team's never been in the top five. They're, they're, they're one point off the top four. Had they, had they nicked a goal yesterday, they would have been in the top four this morning. Um, not only that, their form has been improving. Uh, in December, their form was was very good. They won their last game was it against Wren before Christmas. They won three of their um, last four. Massive, and the only game they didn't win massive, was against PSG. So, you know. But. Massive victory. Um, you know, Nico Kovac, when he joined two years ago, they were relegation fodder. Uh, this guy has turned players like Chuameni, uh, Fofana, Caio Enrique. You know, he has transformed young footballers. He is a coach with a huge past as a player uh, uh, who's coached Bayern Munich who you know and you're going and, and replacing him with, with with a Belgian who we think might you know might have done some decent work with Bruges and you know no, it's nothing against Belgians and it's nothing against Philippe Clement but this is a completely backward step from 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 Monaco and you know obviously uh, we, we haven't talked I mean I heard Andreas say poor Myron Boadu um Nico Kovac was probably laughing when he saw Myron Boadu miss that chance because that's all he's done since he joined uh, from Alkmaar last summer, um, missed chances. He scored one goal in the league. Monaco strengthened their team in the summer, according to Paul Mitchell. They spent a lot of money on Myron Boadu, Jean Lucas, and Ismail Jacobs and Alex Nubles. And that's a lot of money that has perhaps made the team worse because I'm not sure Nubles is even better. Nubel is even better than uh, than Leconte. So um, look. Yes, Monaco could finish top four. Of course, they're good enough to finish top four. They should finish top four. But um, I think they might start going backwards because, you know, this what they're doing here reminds me a bit of the way the club was being run a few years ago. So, got that off my chest. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody got anything to You're a Nico Kovac, right? Yeah, well, I mean, no. he, he won three of his last four games. The only one he didn't win was at, at PSG. So, you know, there's no shame in that. So it, it clear. You're right. It's nothing to do with football. He he pushed the team on really well. well no, I, and he I was think, pretty yeah, po- I, popular among the players, apparently. So I don't, I don't know. Who knows what's going on? There were yeah. So there just was, as a footnote to 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 Myron Boadu, maybe that was the best bit of transfer business that Nice didn't do <laughs> because they were in for Boadu as well. If they'd signed him, they probably wouldn't have been able to sign Andy Delore. And I think they've done rather well out of that particular uh, transfer saga. Yeah, but they did get Calvin Stengs, who is uh, Myron Boadu's uh, best mate. And we could talk about these young Dutch players who are not quite living up to their to their billing so far. But uh, that will have to be for 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 another day. But yes, I am a I'm a Kovac fan, and I think there are a, a couple of things that would point me to you know to 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 think that things weren't all right behind the scenes. It was a bit weird what was going on, or what's been going on, going on with Yusuf Fofana, who was one of the best. Monaco players last season has found himself out of the team uh, at times this year. And you wonder if Kovac was being pushed to play Jean-Lucas, who they spent a a lot of money on. Um, And I just think, yeah, something hasn't gone right with the transfer dealings. And and I think Kovac has probably been unhappy about that and has been told to, to move on. So 
good luck to Niko Kovac. Thanks to, um, to, 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 to what you brought to the table in Liga. Let's move on to our last uh, featured match, the big one. We've also got transfer talk coming up on Le Boja, the official Liga Nubritz podcast. I had the uh, pleasure of commentating Leon versus PSG, 5,000 supporters only in the Group Armour Stadium. Here's what happened. Good ball out of defence to Awar. Guimaraes. Bruno Guimaraes with a lovely ball for Paqueta. Lucas Paqueta in the clear. And Lucas Paqueta gives Leon the lead with a superb finish. What a start to this contest. There were some doubts as to whether Lucas Becchetta would take part in this game. He had a bout of COVID-19 during his holidays, but he has recovered in time and doesn't he look up for this one. Brilliant play in the midfield. Bruno Guimaraes looking up, spotting Paqueta and playing a wonderful pass with his left foot. Still so much to do, though, for Leon's number 10, who on his weaker right foot rifled home. Very diminutive figure, Clement Michu. Here he is, though, in space. The 18-year-old, his pass will find Tilo Kerre. And PSG have done it. Tilo Kerre's shot takes a deflection. It beats Anthony Lopez. And yet again, Maurizio Pochettino's team come from behind. They have levelled it here. And the coach deserves some credit. His uh, substitutes were heavily involved there. Michu looking for Xavi Simmons. He's uh, taken a touch off Emerson. And it has just bounced awkwardly in front of Anthony Lopez. The Leon couldn't keep that out. Well, this was a cracking game of football. Um, no surprise at all, of course, that PSG eventually got their goal. Um, Andreas Leon played really well, certainly for the first 20 minutes, first half an hour. They they were really aggressive. Uh, they countered Paris Saint-Germain. Every time they countered, they looked they looked dangerous. The goal was absolutely brilliant. Bruno Guimaraes with uh, a wonderful pass. Didn't have much time to um, to set himself and to pick the pass, but he found Paqueta and what a finish with his uh, supposed weaker uh, right foot. Um, but you, you you felt, and I was saying in the commentary you probably do need to get that second goal against PSG if you're going to beat them. And, you know, Rennes are the only team that have done it and they got that second goal early in the uh, early in the second half. Leon had one or two chances, but ultimately um, I felt PSG deserved the draw. They they hit the post twice through Mbappe. Um, they had huge amount of possession. They kept on probing and, and Pochettino's changes, they looked a little bit surprising. I mean, he didn't have that many options on the bench, but he sent on two 18-year-olds, Antilo Kera, and um, ultimately that 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 got them out of trouble, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, starting from Leon's point of view, this was like a statement draw because Peter Boss, well, his job was on the line. Let's be honest, Matt. Uh, there was a meeting three days before Christmas and um, the Leon hierarchy, which is basically Olas now with Juninho gone, decided that um, they would stick with with Peter Boss who, again, I think he's not unpopular among the players, but we've gone over Leon's problems, or you have on the podcast recently. It was a real good scrap from them. They got the early goal that they needed. Grimares was excellent. Um, they did play on the break. The question is, I mean, how often are they going to get the chance to play that way in other league and games? And they'll be happy with the draw. From PSG's point of view, 
I, I'm, I, if I was a PSG fan, I'd be much more worried than a few months ago because as this season goes on, they're just more and more dependent on Mbappe, aren't they? I mean, let's be honest. Um, he was excellent again yesterday. He hit the post a couple of times. Um, but the PSG, we've got to talk about Wijnaldum, who is an excellent player. I really liked him at Liverpool. He's completely lost yesterday. PSG playing a 4-3-3. He was up sort of up front on the right in the second half. He played in midfield. It's not working at all for, for Wijnaldum. But Andreas, po- po- Pochettino's got to take a bit of responsibility as well. I mean, I, I totally agree. He was playing as a right-sided forward in the first half, and then he played him as a sort of more deep-lying midfielder. Why don't you play him in his position? Well, because he wants to play a 4-3-3 because of this, you know, the forward line. But again, it comes back to Mbappe. Uh, Messi, Neymar and Di Maria have started about, I think, 30 games this season between them. I think it's 30-31. It's just not enough. You can have these great players. They've got to be playing. They've got to be on the football pitch. And and for whatever reason, I know players get injured and they get COVID and we're not blaming them for that. These star players are just not playing enough football. So it comes down to Mbappe. Icardi was just static. I mean, you know, he stands out with his new his peroxide hair and he's like, he's really not offering that much to the team. Wijnaldum is a defensive midfield player. He gave a very interesting interview with Lekeep a few months ago and he was saying, I'm a bit surprised that I'm playing in this position because, you know, he's one of the best in Europe uh, when he was at Liverpool as a more defensive player. They've asked him to be more attacking. And another word on PSG's defence, they really were caught on the counter-attack far too quickly for me. I mean, it was a super ball from Gumaris, but that was kind of Leon's tactic. They, they were just playing the long balls through to Dembele and, and Paqueta. So I would be a bit worried as a PSG fan at the moment because they're too dependent on Mbappe. They're not getting their big star players on the football pitch. And they, they are getting caught a little bit too easily. Marquinhos was excellent. Navas made a couple of good saves. And you talked about Leon needing a second. Well, they nearly got one, didn't they? Uh, just before the goal. So uh, I think it was... A fair result. PSG hit the post a couple of times. PSG will still win the title, but I think Pochettino does have to get his his tactical thinking hat on. Yeah, I, I want to talk about the young players a little bit, Matt, because they, they have done well at the start of this year, Mishu and, and Simon. So surely, given what we know about what PSG do with the young players, this will be them playing their three or four matches before they're sold to the Bundesliga in the summer and then come back to score against Paris Saint-Germain in the Champions League sometime <laughs> in four or five seasons. Having been sold for what, 10, 15 million. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see a, a young player come through. And it does mean a lot to the fans to have a, a Titi Parisien, as they're known over here. Having a, a local youngster coming up through the ranks, it, it gives something added in terms of the, the spirit and the way that fans identify with the club. I mean, just think about what Andreas was saying. I'm looking at that team that they named yesterday, and you start going man for man with some of the top Paris Saint Germain teams from recent seasons and you're thinking a lot of those players wouldn't get in either because they're older than they were a few years ago if it's the same player or they're just not as good as some of the players that were there before but the one thing that they are doing is grinding out these results they're showing their character I think they've conceded the opening goal in nine league games now Lyon could easily have taken six points off Paris Saint-Germain this season instead Paris Saint-Germain end up with four points from those two matches Um, but yeah they've got to be better We, we say it every week but they have to be better by the time they play Real Madrid. What is amazing, I think, when you look at that performance, and Dave, you, you touch on the fact that, you know, you look at the PSG teams in the past and, and, and this one, you know, doesn't, do, doesn't look as, as strong. And you look at the spine of the team and basically PSG got a result against Lyon because of Navas, 
because of Marquinhos, Verratti and Mbappe. That's that, you know, and that's the spine. And these are the guys who have been there for a long time, particularly Marquinhos and, and Verratti. And they're just on a totally different level to Herrera, Paredes, Wijnaldum, Dagba. Um, okay, so Kimpembe, I, I guess, is also part part of the spine. But these guys, I don't know. I don't know. They're, 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 there's just too big a gap, I feel, between the elite talent and, and the rest at the moment. Um, and certainly what you were saying about Mbappe is is quite right. I mean, if, 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 you're, if you're killing Mbappe at the moment, you're not thinking, gosh, I have to stay here. You're thinking, how, how much longer am I going to have to carry this team for? Because, um, because it must be, you know, getting quite tiring for him. Um, we're going to talk transfers as well. And uh, the English press are full of, uh, full of Romelu Lukaku talk this morning. Now, whether this is, uh, I know the English press like to use PSG whenever, um, whenever there's a potentially big, uh, big money transfer uh, in the brewing. We know that there have been issues, big issues with Lukaku and, and, and Chelsea at the moment. But, you know, ultimately, Andreas, PSG do need to start thinking about um, the post-Mbappe era. Or if we're being incredibly optimistic and thinking Kylian Mbappe might extend his contract, they still need to buy a striker. I mean, there's a chance that Mauro Icardi will be moving to, to Juventus anyway. Uh, Lukaku sounds good, no? 90 million? I, I don't think it's going to happen. I think PSG needs some younger players. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. The key player, look, look at PSG two, three years down the line if they don't have Mbappe. They're going to have to change basically the front six, right? I mean, that's even for PSG and their spending power. That is a big, big job. Um, yeah, Lukaku, he, he's, a, he's a fine player, but I don't think with PSG it's a question of necessarily bringing in a, another big star. I think it's a question of closing that gap between the elite players and the guys like Herrera and Paredes. I mean, these, these are, are top players, Matt. I mean, they shouldn't be way behind Mbappe in, in terms they're of how good, the team they're is good players. They're good players. They're good players. Top players, I don't know. Well, I, I, they, they should be good enough to be putting on a better display than they did last night. Um, I agree that younger players should be giving a chance. I mean, why not start Michu? He, he's, you know, what, what have you got to lose in that position as, as, as an attacking player? I don't think any league um, teams at the moment are going to be spending big because of the um, the financial problems that we talked about on this podcast with with the broadcasting deal, with COVID, and with so much uncertainty going on. So now I, I don't see PSG buying anyone big at the moment. Um, and if they do, they need to be bringing in some some players who are, are going to be hitting their peak two, three years down the line and giving the younger players a chance because they do produce so many good players uh, at that academy that don't get a chance. They do, and they don't seem to keep the best ones. Uh, Colin Dagba struggled against Leon. I, I really thought, and you know, he doesn't look like he's ever going to be good enough, sadly, to be to be PSG's right back. And you look at some of the guys like Christopher and Kunku rattling in the goals in in, in the Bundesliga. You're right. You're right. And Clement Michu, I thought he was excellent when he, when he came on. There was one moment he was standing quite near Marco Verratti and he looked really small next to Verratti. So I'm, I'm not quite sure how small Clement Michu is. I think he's 173. Um, but, but, you know, he, I don't think he's that short. But he, he's, he, <laughs> okay, maybe he's, it was the camera angle. He's still a boy. What is he, 18 years old? So, you know, he's going to develop physically. And, you know, from what I've seen of him, which is not that much, I mean, he played in, in the cup and he played last night. He's a very talented young man. So I I would just rather see him there than than Wijnaldum with his head down, kind of in 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 the wrong part of the pitch. 
Uh, yeah, Clement Michu might be small, but I don't know about Edouard, who was the player who was on the pitch. Oh, no. He's got a brother. <laughs> I might have called him Clement in the commentary. That's terrible. Sorry. Whoops. <laughs> These things happen. <laughs> he looks more like a Clement to me. Usually when I'm commentating. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, most French people do. I think we should move on. Dave, uh, qu- <laughs> question I'm going to put to you. Bruno Guimaraes, um, Arsenal sniffing around. I, I think it's more likely we are going to have out outgoing transfers than incoming uh, as as Andreas alluded to the financial difficulties here I don't think Bruno Guimaraes is a player that Leon are going to want to um, uh, see leave this January though what do you reckon Dave? Yeah no, there's the Lucas Paqueta stuff as well isn't there are Paris Saint-Germain genuinely interested in him it was said that Leonardo wanted him before Juninho stepped in and took Paqueta to Lyon um, another good goal from him he's got the technical quality to play at PSG but is not as, uh, as Andreas and you were saying, Matt, I don't think he's... That's not the problem position for Paris Saint-Germain. They, uh, Paqueta is not where their priority should be if they are looking to spend money. Um, you know, Leon need Gimares. They really do need Gimares. Um, they are a, such a strange team, Leon, but you feel that they do have to improve given the quality of players they have. All right, little uh, left-back quiz for you. Not so much a quiz, more of a... Uh, a question that I'm going to put to Andreas. Uh, nice have uh, sold Hassan Kamara to Watford. They've brought in Jordan Amavi. And there's talk, Andreas, that Sead Kolasinac could be moving to Marseille to join the um, the team of uh, Arsenal. Oh, I almost called them Arsenal rejects. That might be tough on uh, William Saliba in, in particular. Um, Who's getting the best deal there? Who's the best left back out of Amavi, Kamara and Kolasinac? Well, if you're looking for someone in a carjack situation, Kolasinac would be superb. You know, if, <laughs> if he gets held up, he's going to be dealing with guys attacking him with uh, with all sorts of implements. Could be useful down in Marseille. <laughs> no, I'd say Amavi. I, I, I don't. I think Kolasinac has just had too many injury problems of late. Um, so I, I don't think he's. I don't think he would be the answer. I think Hassan Kamara is a good buy for for Watford. Dave, anything, anything uh, you you want to add on the left back situation? No, I, I like Camera. I, I was surprised to see him fade in, at Nice because, yeah, I know he, he's full of energy. Like what pace he's got as well, and no, he, he's a he's a the sort of player you look at and you think, yeah, he's right for the for the Premier League style. Um, no, no, carry on. I, I'm done with left backs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Camera. Cam- I want to I want to talk centre backs and forwards and. The sort of people that can come to Newcastle United so that they don't lose to Cambridge and they stay in the Premier League. Okay, Cambridge have won as many games against Premier League opposition as Newcastle this season. So Newcastle need to sign lots of players from League and like they did in January 2013, even if they cost 20 times as much. Dave is dreaming of the era of Johan Cabaye and, and, and Mathieu Debouchy. Just to finish on, on, on the left-backs, Hassan Kamara, he was one of he was regarded as one of the best left-backs in Liga uh, a year or so ago. And... Uh, yeah, he's a good player, but he's lost his place this season to Melvin Bart, who um, who has done well at Nice after joining from uh, from Lyon. So good luck to Hassan Kamara at Watford. Um, Dave, Newcastle, we know they got a lot of money. We know they need to try and sort their defence out. And uh, it's not a big surprise to see they're, they're looking to league on Uber. It's talk of a €45 million Euro bid for Sven Botman. They're being linked with Benoit Badia-Shiel as well, possibly Abdou Diallo, although I think West Ham are, uh, are keener on Abdou Diallo. Um, Sven Botman, that would be a, a great signing if Newcastle could get him. Do you not think, David? Yeah, it would be a fantastic signing. Uh, Lille are playing hardball, from my understanding of this situation. Uh, Newcastle have had at least one bid rejected, possibly two. And I think Lille are 
doing what lots of clubs will be doing this window, which is trying to extract that extra 10 million euros out of very wealthy owners, that the bargains aren't going to be there for Newcastle the way they were when they had almost a monopoly of scouting the French market, knowing that Kabai had the release clause in his contract, getting him for 5 million, Musa Sissoko for under 2 million euros at the time, uh, Ben Arthur for nothing. Um, this time around, it is going to be different. I mean, I've, just before we started recording this podcast, I, I had a quick look at all the transfer speculation involving Newcastle and League 1 players, and it is the easiest story to write right now. If you're an agent, you just get one of your mates in the media to say, Newcastle are interested in my player, that will get him a contract rise, or you start a bidding war. So there's Botman, there's Badiashil. In terms of forwards, apparently Hugo Ekitike and Bomba Dieng. Um Ekatike's quality. Did but, you know, Dave? Um, did you know? Young. Did you know that Ekatike is the same backwards? He's got a it's, pandromic name. Pandromic, yeah. That because there was a word we were trying to remember what it was yesterday. Pandromic. He has got, but it's pa- it's palindromic. palindromic. Palindromic name. It's a good one, isn't it? It is. Yeah. No, I, I hadn't realised that. I, I wrote a profile of him last week, so I wish I'd realised that before. <laughs> he should play for Laval, who are another palindromic team. But Andreas. Um, if you're going to Newcastle now, you're taking a risk. You know, if you're Sven Botman, you're hoping to play in the World Cup for the Netherlands uh, later this year. You're playing currently for the French champions. You've got a big reputation. You could be in the championship if you if you go, you know, let's be honest, Dave. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to upset you on a Monday morning, but they could be heading for the second tier. I would disagree there. I don't think Newcastle need to spend that much to get out of the bottom three. You know, I'm not just saying that to cheer up, Dave, but... Um, uh, without going into the Premier League too much, you know, they, they just need a couple of wins. I think they'll be okay and they will spend enough to get themselves out of, out of trouble. Getting into the top four in a couple of years, that, that's different. Uh, Botman will be a, a fantastic buy. Badi Ishil was injured yesterday. It didn't look good. He's another very good player. Um, the concern might be a sort of knock-on effect though, because of course, Leo will look to replace Botman uh, and they'll no doubt be, you know, fishing around and any other club will think, ah, hang on, you've just got 45 million for Botman, therefore our 20 million defender is now a 30 million defender. So there'll be that knock-on inflation effect. But I mean, how, you know, changing the south of France and Monaco for the northeast of England, I mean, obviously that's a wonderful prospect for any young man, right, Matt, this time of year especially. Um, I don't think there'll be too much of a concern, especially if they can persuade the likes of Botman that other players are going to come as well and that there's a big project to use that horrible word. So I think money will probably um, have its final word, but they have to, you know, they have to box clever Newcastle. They, they can't just buy any player of any players who are going to do the job for the next few months. Uh, and yeah, Botman will be a, an excellent buy. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he trades Northeast France for, for the Northeast of England. Another league and talent that is uh, attracting a lot of interest is Randall Colo Moani, the uh, non-striker who is out of contract in the summer stories yesterday. We know that a lot of German teams are looking at him. Waldemir Keita, the uh, the nonce president, uh, has revealed that Freiburg have made uh, an offer to Colo Moani to sign for free next summer. Um, Keita is also claiming that Frankfurt have made an illegal approach. They're saying that they made an offer to him before January, so they weren't allowed to do that. A lot of German teams looking at him. I'm, I'm amazed, Dave. I'm not saying Newcastle should be after him, but why Why are Premier League clubs not not going for Randall Colomwani, who is really, really impressive in Ligue 1 Uber Eats, who is scoring goals for France under-21s? He's probably going to be a France international, I, I would say, in, in the next couple of years. Um, it's... 
it's weird. It's almost like the English teams that they're kind of waiting these days for for some of these talents to go to Germany and that, and then they'll spend big on him. But surely now's the time to go and get Colomwani. It's a fair question, Matt. I I think he could do a job. He's got the athletic qualities that that are suited to the Premier League. Very fast, he can play a lone front role. Um, yeah, I, I think it'd be a good signing for anyone in England. Echoes of uh, in uh, the echo, lower half of the table. Echoes of Shola Amiobi, Dave, or <laughs> no, he's not quite that good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we better we better wrap up. I think we've addressed um, the the main transfer issues. The news. We'll be back uh, with all the latest in the uh, in the transfer department next week, of course. Um, the games that I haven't mentioned, there was a big game actually in Lens. Uh, Lens getting a 1-0 victory over Rennes. Rennes stuttering. Uh, they had a bit of trouble in December and they've lost now uh, an 89th minute winner from Wesley Said. So uh, well done to Lens. Strasbourg winning the derby of the East 2-0 away to Metz. Strasbourg also going great guns. They've got a game in hand and can uh, move into the European places if they win that. Ludovic Azrok, absolutely superb, scoring one. He's got 10 in the league now, set up another as well. Uh, Clermont nil, Reims nil. Uh, the least said about that one, the better. Although I, I say that, I didn't see it. Has anybody got anything to say about Clermont Reims? Um, there was a sending off in that game. Um, Alidou Saidou was, uh, was sent off. Is that right? Yes. Um, in the 13th minute uh, for Claremont. So ultimately, I think we'll say that's a good result for Claremont. Um, time for our b- uh, bon voyage. Uh, I guess neither Dave or Andreas will be going to Claremont. They're not showing much interest in, uh, in, in that team at the moment. But next weekend, round 21, uh, the big games include PSG Brest on Saturday night at the Parc des Princes. Marseille-Lille on uh, Sunday night. That's a cracker. Uh, Rennes against Bordeaux, an interesting game. Early kickoff on Sunday at uh, 1 p.m. local time. Trois Lyon, another big one, five o'clock on the Sunday. Time for a bon voyage, and uh, we're going to head to you, Dave, for the uh, for the first offer. Yeah, I'm actually going to go to Saint Etienne Lens on the Saturday afternoon um, because I was at Lens for their Coupe de France derby win against Lille and I think that's when they look back at the end of the season that half hour plus the penalty shootout is going to be the the fundamental difference between them having an okay season or fading away because an hour into that game they were 2-0 down and you feel like teams are working them out Lille were stretching them but then captain Fafana two goals plus the winning penalty they back it up with the win against Rennes and now going to Saint-Etienne you'd think that in the cold in the east of France, they, they're going to pick up another result. That's a brave choice, Dave. Um, Andreas, what do you what, would you fancy going somewhere a bit warmer? Yeah, I'm, I'm not as brave. Definitely um, Nice Nantes. Um, because look, looking at the table, they're two teams who, who are doing well. I think are they the two most experienced uh, coaches in in Liga, maybe uh, Galtier and Combray. Combray's in a real dour mood at the moment. He, he said he was a hostage because he didn't have enough players. It's, Djokovic is not the only uh, hostage in the world of sport <laughs> at the moment. He, he really was sort of cutting a very miserable character before that game. But um, you know, to be fair, two ver- two very good coaches that know everything about Liga. This is a good test to see how good. Nice really are. So, yeah, Nice not for me next week. I, t- I often complain about these old uh, journeyman coaches <laughs> we have in France, but, they're, but they're, 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 they are pretty funny. Antoine Comboire, Frederic Antonetti was was hilarious after the game against Lyon before Christmas, um, just complaining about how 
how every game is uh, how every game is fixed and how he always gets robbed in Lyon. He he he, did, he went a bit far, but it was all it was all pretty funny. Um, I'm going to go to Troyes. Uh, I'm in need of champagne, so I'm going to pop t- pop over to the Champagne region. Trois against Lyon. See um, see how uh, Peter Boss's team can get on. Whether they can build on that good performance against PSG. And I want to see Bruno Irles, who is the the new coach. We didn't mention Laurent Batlas has left Trois. Bruno Irles has uh, has come in now. Bruno, I I call him Bruno Il, but apparently it's Bruno Irles. He um, is the only coach that I know who doesn't rate Kylian Mbappe. And it's quite funny. He um, so he was the coach of Monaco's youth teams, and I think the under seventeens. And he refused to pick Mbappe. Um, he had a big um, altercation with the um, Mbappe's dad and with Killian because you know he felt Mbappe wasn't wasn't uh, adhering to his instructions, wasn't doing the defensive work, and he said, "Go and play." Uh, with the junior team or go and play with in, 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 in the amateur leagues. Bruno Ehlers was moved on by Monaco. Um, uh, I don't know if that was because the Mbappe family kicked up a stink, but uh, it may well have been the case. And apparently in Mbappe's comics, you know, he's done these comics. He's got, he's got Bruno Ehlers as like the, the nasty character. So I'm looking forward to seeing Mbappe and PSG against Trois because I reckon Killian's going to be seriously fired up for that one. But I'm, yeah, I'm going to go and check out Trois on Sunday just for a bit of a change that is it don't forget we have got a special prize up for grabs an AS Monaco shirt um it's absolutely beautiful you just have to answer our deja who question uh we gave you the clue a bit earlier in the pod if you think you know the answer email us league one podcast at gmail.com Get onto the podcast platform, get rating us, subscribe, tell your friends all about Le Bourgeois. We'll be back next week, of course, with another edition. Uh, thank you, Andreas, and thank you, Dave. Thanks. Thank you. See you next time. Been, it's been good fun. We'll be back next week. Thanks to our listeners for joining us. All the very best. Bye-bye. And the finish at the near post from Lucas Paqueta. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it.